Welcome to My Morning Cup, a podcast produced by Costa Media Advisors and brought to you by the generous support of the Tennessee Valley Authority. To learn more about TVA's impact on our community, follow TVA on Instagram at TVA and on Twitter X at TVA News. My Morning Cup, where we have interesting conversations with genuine people. I'm Mike Costa, your host. My guest this week is Virginia Ann Sharber, the executive director of the Hunter Museum of Art. Virginia Ann's career did not start in the art world. She spent the bulk of her career as a lawyer focused on commercial lending and commercial real estate development. Virginia Ann, welcome to My Morning Cup. Before we talk about your dreams of running off to New York City to be a professional dancer, (laughs) let me ask, what's in your morning cup? I got a good cup of coffee with a little splash of cream. What kind of coffee you like? This is the Starbucks French roast. Ooh, that's yeah. nice. So you like a little boldness in I your do. coffee. I do. I like a little. That's why I have to put a little cream in it to yeah, balance the boldness. To balance it out. Is that, <laughs> that's right. Is that an every morning thing? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Got to start the day with a cup of coffee. Caffeine or no caffeine? What's the point? <laughs> <laughs> well, it is, I, I drink decaf, believe it or not. Do you? Interesting. I, 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 yeah. It's a, because if I drink too much caffeine, I just, you, you don't want to be around me. Well, I, ju- I just drink a, a big cup, one, yeah. one big cup a day and always in the morning only. So yeah. And, and I just like the flavor. I do too. Yeah. I know a lot of people go, Oh, coffee too. I don't know. I'm, I'm addicted. I guess it is. Well, you, you grew up in Chattanooga, so you've seen a lot of different things happen. So if you would just kind of take me through the beginning of being born and raised here. I know you went to GPS and you grew up on Signal Mountain and you got three, is it three siblings or four siblings? Three siblings. I'm the oldest of four. Oldest of four. Oldest of four. Yep. So how idyllic was it growing up on Signal Mountain in Chattanooga in the 70s? I I mean, Signal was great. It was a very nice community to live in. It's interesting whenever I go up there now, it's just, it's gotten so much bigger, so much more going on. But it was, it was, it was a great place to grow up. You know, we rode our bikes everywhere, um, went to Thrasher Elementary School, went, actually went to Signal Mountain Junior High School until I went to GPS for high school. But it was, it, it was a great spot. So like in the 70s, Chattanooga, 70s and 80s, Chattanooga had this reputation of kind of being this dirty, decaying town. Did you see that growing up? I don't really remember that. What I do remember is coming into downtown Mm -hmm. and, you know, kind of around four or five o'clock, it would just be deserted. It was just, you know, I remember the town would just totally empty out. They Um, rolled up the sidewalks. That's right. It was it was gone. And, you know, obviously now it's just a hustle and bustle. Downtown is is just so vibrant now. But I do remember there not really being. Yeah. A lot going on. And, and I want to talk to about that renaissance, but kind of on a timeline basis. So your dad was a circuit court judge. Yes. And your mom uh, had an arts degree and she was, was very an art involved major. in the community. Right. She was an art major and, and did a lot of arts. She actually started the Oak Street Playhouse at First Centenary. Oh, wow. Um, and she and another woman owned an art business where they would paint things and sell them on Signal. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, she art was a big part of our lives. So when you say she started the Playhouse, was she acting? Was she doing the behind the scenes? Was She was the producer. Okay. Although it always used to crack me up because at the end of plays, she would come in at the at the celebration at the close of a play and pretend like she you know put on a wig and a hat and, and pretend like she was a, I mean, she was quite the actress i yeah. never understood why she wasn't ever in the place herself but she was the producer how about you did were you ever in any of the plays? i was uh, yeah. i was yes and, and give us an example 
Um, after I got out of um, law school and moved back to town, um, I theater and dance and and uh, choral uh, had always kind of been something I'd been involved in all through school. Yeah. And when I got back to town, I, I still wanted to be involved. And so the, uh, I can't remember. I was in Camelot was one of the plays that we did. We also did My Fair Lady. Um, Do you still have the bug? Yes. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, I, I loved performing. That was a lot of fun. I wish I could still dance. I'm a little too old and, and not flexible enough anymore. But God, that I've been was... saying that since I was 20. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and the reason I'm kind of focusing on that, you know, as, as we talk to people about their careers, a lot of people just take the first job they get and do it as best they can. Then they, a door opens the other way. And what I've found with certain professions like lawyers and, and accountants and architects that from a very young age, you kind of knew what you wanted to be or were steered in that direction. And that's where you spent the bulk of your career. And obviously you spent the bulk of your career as a lawyer, but you have a, an affection for the performing arts. Mm -hmm. So um, what drove you to law? Well, interestingly, I mean, of course, growing up with my father being a judge, I used to go down and watch the trials going on in the summertime, and I thought that was fascinating. And then I was involved in theater, right? And of course, you you know, you watch the Perry Mason on TV, and you you see lawyers all are a bit of theater, aren't right? They? Exactly, exactly. And it's interesting because when I went to law school, I wanted to be a litigator. I wanted to be mm -hmm. a trial lawyer, and those were that's the path I follow. You could either kind of follow the corporate law path or the trial path, and I followed the trial path. And when I started practicing law and realized that, wait a minute, this, you know, my, my witnesses aren't following the script. <laughs> I mean, they're not saying what they're supposed to say. And it, it was, uh, it wasn't exactly what I thought it would be. And it, I ended up really not liking uh, yeah. the, the trial uh, side of being a lawyer. Was that when you were in law school or after you'd already got? When I was in law school and then really the first two years I was at Miller Martin, I was, at, I was in the litigation team. Oh, wow. And, yeah. And, uh, you know, just really, I didn't like the litigious, you know, friction. Um, and I was very fortunate that Miller Martin uh, said to me, we've got room on, on the non-litigation side. Why don't you think about coming over into the commercial department? And that was, I found my niche there. That was really something that was, that was fascinating. It was no longer you against me. It mm -hmm. was I'm looking out for my client and you're looking out for your client, but we're wanting to put a deal together. Right. And so it was a lot that fit my personality. A well, lot explain that a bit, because on the litigation side, you're right. It's going to be, it's you I'm going to win and you're going to lose. Right. And, right. and on the commercial lending and, and real estate development side, which I imagine as you got into law in Chattanooga started its growth pattern, that there was a lot to be accomplished there. There was a lot. And it, I mean, it, I loved being a commercial real estate lawyer. It was a lot of fun to be able to drive around town and say, I was involved with that project. I was involved with that project. That was that was very rewarding. What's an example of one of those projects that you worked on that people look at and go, boy, that really made a difference in, in downtown or, or any part of the town? Well, I mean, I remember being involved with the, the Riverset Apartments yeah. being built, you know, kind of the first thing right there next to the river, that was, you know, really unusual. And, and um, that, that had to be a roll of the dice for the developer. Oh, I would totally, imagine. totally. Was, I think it was the first, yeah. first sort of development of its kind at the time. And, you know, they, they kind of sit there now and I look at them and go, that would be a really cool place to live. And you never really hear of any opening you know, mm -hmm. because I, I think people love that view. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
So back to back to your legal path. I, obviously, your dad's influence as a circuit judge and and spending summers, you know, going in and observing the trials, which I think would be fascinating too. It was. Uh, you went to uh, Vandy undergrad. I did. And then University of Tennessee Law I School. Did. I did. I, I, I knew I always liked you. <laughs> <laughs> I had actually never set foot on. Tennessee's campus until I started law school. And, you know, it just was so very different from Vanderbilt. Oh, gosh. So different. So it was it was really kind of, it was a lot of fun to go to law school in Tennessee. And I was up there during the World's Fair, too. Oh, yeah. It was there. a lot of fun. Yeah. yeah I actually lived um, not far from the law school. I lived in Fort Sanders. Oh, man. Up, yeah. Up off a of highway. I'm surprised we didn't bump into each other. Well, I'm hoping we didn't because I probably would have <laughs> <laughs> embarrassed myself. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah. Um, so many people uh, who grew up in Chattanooga in the 70s and 80s went away to school but didn't come back. Mm-hmm. Why'd you come back? Family, his family's very important to me. And I loved Chattanooga. Yeah. I, I really did. But it is, I mean, it's, I thought about that. I was thinking about that this morning when I was thinking about Kind of one of the first things that I got involved in when I came back home was the Junior League. Yep. Because I wanted to experience Chattanooga as an adult. You know, I had lived there as, as a child. And like you said, a lot of my friends did not move back to Chattanooga. Um, and it was a great way for me to meet the young people who had who were in Chattanooga, people who had moved here. Um, but that was something that was important to me was to experience the town as an adult. And it's something that I talk to my children now about yeah. who kind of say, oh, you know, I've been there, done that. I've lived in Chattanooga. And, and, and I'm like, yeah, but it's totally different to live here as an adult and, and particularly now. Well, and, and talk a little bit more about joining something like the Junior League and the importance of getting involved in organizations. Because when we were talking prior to this, I noticed that you're involved in no less than 25 organizations or boards and things like that through the course of your career. So as you're building your career, why is it so important to get out of just looking at commercial real estate deals and get involved in other things? Well, honestly, I started Junior League. That was very personal. That that was mm-hmm. not, uh, uh, like I said, I wanted to to meet other people and I wanted to, you know, kind of get a, a better feel for the community. Then I, I, uh, was fortunate enough to be in Leadership Chattanooga. Mm-hmm. And that really opened my eyes to a lot of the really cool, interesting things that were going on in the community at the time. And I met people that I would have never, ever met before. And I started to realize there's, you know, there's so much more to the town. There's so much more than to just what I'm doing, mm-hmm. you know, what's on my desk. And I also will say that the firm was very supportive about wanting me to get out and meet people and to know more about what was going on in the community. So it wasn't totally personal. It was also very much, it was a good way for you to go out and, and candidly meet people who might have needs of legal services. Right. Um, so that was important. And I, I will also say that for my parents, giving back to the community was something that was very important. Yeah. Both of my parents were very involved in doing a lot of things in and for the community. And, and so it was something that I learned from them as well. Yeah. And I think that's something that um, those of us who were raised in families where that community service is a big aspect that we continue, we hopefully continue it. Right. Yeah. You know? Right. And I think you see the benefits, uh, not just for oneself, but in the community too. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. How much of that did you gear towards your passion being the arts and how much did you gear towards the professional need to be involved with things? It was interesting because the, the arts part probably didn't start right away. Yeah. Um, 
the uh, I think, like I said, I guess junior league started first, and 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 you know then I did uh, I got involved with Girls Inc. I got involved with the partnership, um, and kind of learning about different social service needs in the community. That was something that Leadership Chattanooga really kind of mm-hmm. opened my eyes to, and so I, I guess probably I started there. Um, with junior league, we got involved in a really cool project on the west side. That was when the the old uh, the school building there. The uh, school board and the city, I think we're going to tear the building down. And we got involved with the neighborhood who kind of wanted to keep the building there and let's repurpose the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I know, you know, Sarah Morgan, who was who was at the time a very active junior league member. And you know she embraced that project and ran with it. I was the president of the league at the time. And Sarah taught me something. I don't know how she learned it, but, but taught me how important it is uh, to really be involved with and uh, make sure you are talking to the community that you're working with and make sure you're not just coming in on a on a horse and saying, we know the answer. I mean, and I really learned a great lesson working on that project. And we had there were two uh, wonderful women, both named Gwen. We always called the Gwens. Uh, <laughs> they they would kind of help lead us, and and so that we met people in the neighborhood and, and really understood what the folks in the neighborhood wanted, yeah. as opposed to just saying, "Let's you know we've got it figured out. This is what you ought to do." And we learned from them how important it would be to have a grocery store there, how important it would be to have maybe a dental um, mm-hmm. a dental services there, things we child care absolutely, and and so it was great to be able to to help the community stand up and say, no, we really don't want you to tear this building down. We, we really would love to repurpose it. And here's kind of the things that we're thinking about doing in the neighborhood. And so we were able to help help do that. And that was a really rewarding project. That, that building's still on. standing. And it is. I, I believe Mayor Kelly announced his reelection uh, bid at that site, if Could I'm, be. If, yeah. if I'm yeah. not mistaken. Um, I'm curious, yeah, we're, we're about the same age. How difficult was it at the time for you launching your career as a female attorney in what what is still a male dominated world? And what kind of advice would you give someone who's starting out young that they need to do to get involved in the community? Um, well, starting out at the firm, I was the second female. Were you really? I was the second female, Shelly Rucker, who is the, now a bankruptcy court judge. She was the first and what female. And year was this? I started in 84. Okay, so 84, you're the second female second, attorney second Miller Martin female. has hired. Second female. Wow. Shelly Shelley was a year, she might have been either one or two years ahead of me. Yeah. And she had been a runner and then clerked there. And then, but anyway, so, and that was another reason I started Junior League. I wanted to be around women. I mean, right. Shelly and me were it at, at, at Miller Martin. So and that had to feel a little isolating too. It does. Yeah. It, yeah, it did. So, so that was good. Makes you know, sense. I, I needed to have my female time. So, yeah. so that was another reason that I started uh, junior league, but just in terms of starting your career and, and, you know, I highly encourage, I mean, yes, when you start your career, putting your nose to the grindstone and making sure you're getting the work done and that you're learning your craft is very important, but also, um, Making sure that you are aware enough of what's going around you in the community and and how you know what role you might be able to play, and then again, meeting other people is something that's really important, especially for a lawyer because a lawyer you know you've got you've got to get business somehow, so that's something that's really important. But then the icing on the cake is being able to really make a difference in the community yeah. and as a lawyer you bring you bring certain skills. Um, that, that, you know, on all the boards that I've been on, it's, we've always made a very conscious effort about looking at what skill set you need on the board. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And, you know, I probably filled that skill set of you know, kind of understanding legal contracts. And I was always asked to be the secretary and the, the chair of the governance committee. So, uh, you know, that is that there's something to that. Uh, yeah. You know, people I've chaired are, a lot of communications committees. I bet, exactly. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And this isn't a difficult question, but I, I think it's more of a perspective question. You're 84, first, second uh, female lawyer, and you're growing your career, but you're also starting family, raising family. How difficult is that? Because I'm coming at that from a different perspective. Mm -hmm. I mean, how do you find the time to do all that? Or do you just make it? You just make it. Yeah. You make it. It, 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 it was. It was very difficult. You know, three children, each, you know, two years apart. Thankfully, I found a wonderful woman that we had for 10 plus years mm-hmm. who came into the day and helped to, you know, Take that, that, was, that was huge. Uh, it took a while for us to find her. We have, I've got several, you know, horror stories of, of oh, you know, how it didn't work. But once we found her and she was a godsend, that was huge having that. But it, you do, you just kind of have to make the time. You kind of yeah. have to, and, and, and you need to have the support of the firm. The firm was very supportive in, you know, in allowing me to do that. And you spent 25 years at Miller Martin. Mm-hmm. Talk about the uh, opportunity at the Hunter Museum. How did that come about? Well, interestingly, I got a phone call from a a member of the the Hunter board who I literally thought he was calling to ask me to serve on the board Mm -hmm. at the Hunter. But he called and he said that the director then was getting ready to leave and it had taken them 18 months to find him. And uh, that had been, you know, quite a burden on the, the the board to go without a executive director for eighteen months. So they didn't want to do that this time. So that what they wanted to do is they wanted to bring somebody in to serve as the interim, just just to kind of you know play quarterback while they did a national search for for the next director. The, the private schools do that quite a bit when the headmaster right. announces their retirement. Right. They bring in an interim while they do a big right. search. Right. Just just somebody who can kind of you know be a point person for the staff and and. Of course, my response was, "I've you know, what do I know about running museums?" Um, and you know, the good news is the staff there was f- absolutely fabulous. I mean, you know, we've got such a great team there. And the I think one of the other reasons they asked me is just because I had been in the community. Mm-hmm. Um, I had been on a number of boards, so you know, I'm fortunate enough to have met a lot of people. I've lived here all my life. And so I think that was one of the reasons they thought it might be, you know, might be helpful to have somebody who knows the community right. to serve. And they this. knew you. Right. Be, being the board, because a lot of those boards are, are people Plus, serve on different boards in right. the crossover. Right. Give me a little bit of history on the Hunter Museum. And, and I'll, I'll tell you where I'm coming from. I, when I got here, it was, I, I think, such an integral part of the uh, 21st century riverfront plan. Mm-hmm. And if you would, just a little bit of history on the Hunter Museum and then how that plan kind of tied everything together uh, in terms of connecting downtown and the, the arts district and everything. Well, interesting that you would ask me about that because really one of the most rewarding things that I have worked on, I'm, I'll get to the hunter in just a minute. Yeah. One of the most rewarding things that I've ever worked on was being asked to chair the public art uh, plan during the waterfront, yeah. 21st century waterfronts. Mayor Corker, then mayor, um, asked me to be the the volunteer chair to work with Peggy Townsend, who is, um, she and her husband Stan run Townsend Atelier. Uh, but at the time she was asked to be the, uh, the staff for the, the public art program that Bob Corker was setting up during the 21st century waterfront. 
And there was a partnership of the Hunter, the city, River City Company, and Allied Arts. Then, mm-hmm. um, Which to, is Arts Build now? It is Arts Build now um, to kind of uh, conduct a citywide public art planning process and to do that in connection with everything that was going on with the 21st century waterfront. And we convened, you know, over 500 people at these uh, charrettes to talk about, you know, kind of what public art in Chattanooga could look like, particularly with respect to what was happening at that with the 21st century waterfront plan. And uh, Mayor Corker allotted 1% of that budget to public art, which amounted to $1.2 million, and said, okay, you know, let's put a committee together. So Peggy and I put a committee of folks together uh, that were involved in the arts to, to kind of think about, okay, we've got $1.2 million and we've got this huge, fabulous project that's coming. You know, what how, what role can public art play in that? And we kind of divided the money up. Uh, we looked at the pier and the huge mass that Jamie Carpenter designed that were one of the things that, that we uh, came up with. We looked at the uh, first street, which is the connection um, between the aquarium going up to the to the Hunter Museum. Because before then, you had to go around to what fourth and oh, it was hard. curve that back was, through, and before the Holmberg Bridge was built, right? So yes, there was no there was no way to walk from the aquarium to the to the Hunter, and that really connected. They were the like Hunter. separate islands. They were. It was horrible. I mean, uh, Ruth Holmberg, who, as you know, was hugely supportive of and played a huge role at the, at the Hunter love to say, you know, we've got to do something to take the hunter off the hill. Yeah. Um, and so how appropriate that we, you know, that the, 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 the Holmberg, Holmberg Bridge, Bridge was named and connects the, the, the hunter to the rest of the city. Why is public art so important to a community? Oh, for so many reasons. I, I think it's, you know, obviously it makes the city beautiful. It, it makes people want to get out and enjoy the city more. I think it makes the city more proud of its city. I mean, just so many reasons. It, it's yeah. It makes it a good place to live. It really does. It really does. And, and, and you know, it, it's wonderful for tourism, but it's also fabulous for the community. I think it builds community. It makes You know, it, it creates a sense of place and a sense of pride. So just back to the 21st century waterfront plan at the time, um, it was really bringing all these different organizations together under that same banner that's accomplished so many different things. It wasn't just let's extend the river walk mm. or let's take uh, Riverside Drive down to two lanes. It, it's we got to find a way to connect the hunter. We got to find a way to do this. The other piece of it, too, that was an extremely important piece of it was the passage, yeah. um, which was, as you know, I mean, it's a sacred spot. It's where the Cherokee Indians forced removal, you know, mm-hmm. the genesis of that. And, 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 and that was a really, really important spot. And I was really proud of the way our committee was smart about making sure that we respected the sacredness of that spot. Um, Ann Coulter really took the lead in helping us make sure that we were handling that correctly. She personally went to visit the Eastern Band of the Cherokee in North Carolina and the, oh, and, wow. and the Cherokee tribe in uh, Oklahoma to talk to them and to kind of say, we know this is a really important spot. Talk to us about how we can uh, pay homage to that and, and make sure that, that we aren't, you know, again, kind of the Sarah Morgan. That's what I was just going to say. Of, of, it goes yes. back to your the whole Sarah thing Morgan of let, let, yes, let's make sure that we are respecting the land and the people that came before us and, and that sort of thing. And so, we, and, and was it River City at that time? She was in River City. I mean, she was on the public art. I mean, she was a key uh, part of the public art committee. But uh, what we did with that is is we said that 
whatever artist group or artist we choose to help us with the passage art piece of this needs to be uh, affiliated with the Cherokee Nation. And we made that a requirement of the artist calls. And we were really fortunate that we got a group of Cherokee Nation uh, folk from Oklahoma who were part of the, the the project. And they are the ones that designed the fabulous, what we've got down there now, those beautiful discs. Yep. And, and, you know, just it was the, a wonderful. The pathway in the water. Yes. Yeah. You know, it's been, what, almost 20 years since that project now? Yeah. And I'm, I'm just, this is just top of the head type thing. It might be time for us to remind people what's there. Yes. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. I, th- I think we kind of take for granted because when you talk about the sacredness mm-hmm. of uh, that whole area down there, right? I think a lot of people who might hear this go, huh, Yeah. I didn't realize Trail of Tears started right. right there. Right. And there, there's a lot of history that I guess after time we take for granted. Yeah. Another public art story, uh, and this one also involves Sarah, but uh, Sarah Morgan, and you were asking why public art is important. When the Main Street was kind of being focused on, mm-hmm. focused, you know, you know we've, we've, got this, we've got this part of town that used to be a vital, vital part of town that has kind of been run down. And you look at where, what it is today. So Ben Wood and Lynn Hurst were really wanting to invest in and, and kind of help bring that area of town back. And, and they did it in a number of ways, both of which involved art, one of which it was they motivated artists to move to that area. I remember that we incentivized them, them. Forgivable loans, if they would mortgage loans, if they would come in and, and work and live in that area. And then they also um, funded a public art program where we said, Let, let's put some public art mm-hmm. on the sidewalks there to animate the streets and, and bring people down and to start looking at it. And, and I mean, that was, I mean, I, Art, I think, played a played a big role in, yeah. in the development of Main Street. You know, it was almost that added element that it, it's not that Chattanooga didn't have it. It didn't really put it in the forefront. So you could do developments like the 21st century waterfront plan. But if you don't have the public art, there's an aesthetic missing. Right. That particularly when you, not just for the people who live here, but the people who come and visit and go, my goodness, I didn't realize what a charming place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When you were a teenager and you were in the summers going down to circuit court and watching those trials, did you ever think you'd be running an art museum? Oh, good heavens, no. <laughs> you know, the, the, the one wonderful irony, though, is that I have followed the paths of both of my parents. Yeah. But it's, it's incredibly rewarding. I'm, I'm so unbelievably honored to be in the position that I'm in. Um, and again, I, I'm so thankful that I've got a team that really does just a phenomenal job. And, and, and we're so fortunate to have the Hunter Museum in, in Chattanooga and, and kind of the work that the work that we're doing now. I'm, I'm so proud of the way that hopefully we have really tried to open our doors and, and bring in people of all walks. And I think one of the one of the um, interesting things about having a non art person, because I have no mm-hmm. formal training in uh, visual arts other than a AP art class that I took at Vanderbilt, which, I did that, which was actually my lowest grade at Vanderbilt. But uh, you didn't you didn't tell the committee that, did you? Uh, no, no, because we're counting we're counting on the the other the rest of the team. But the fact that I'm not a, an art person is right. is I've kind of been able to say um, it's extremely important that we're here as a resource for the folks who are trained in art, and you know that we always have the academic uh, programming. But it's 
equally important that we remember that we are here for everybody, for people who don't have yeah. an art background and for people who might feel uncomfortable coming into the Hunter because they think it's too elitist or, or they're not good enough to be at the Hunter. I think that's something that's extremely important. And, and we've really tried hard to make sure we are much more accessible to everybody. That brings me to the question that for a person who hasn't been in the Hunter, what would you tell them or what would you expect to hear from them in terms of, I didn't expect this. So talk a little bit about what the Hunter offers in, in terms, because it's American art. Right. It's exclusively American art. Um, first of all, you're blown away by the beauty of the, you know, the, the you've got the three buildings that are so different. Yeah. Um, and then you walk into the uh, foyer there and then you see the beautiful Allison Schott sculpture that we've got hanging there and, and, you're kind of blunt in the view of the river. So, so that's that, gorgeous. That view. you see, yes. You do a lot of weddings there, don't you? Do a lot of weddings, thankfully. Yes, yes. There are some beautiful weddings there. Um, and then we've got the really pretty view that, that mm-hmm. people can go to. Um, then I think you'd be amazed at our collection. It, it's really uh, a remarkable collection for a museum our size. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we very often hear from visitors, wow, I had no idea that Chattanooga had something like this and, and how nice that is. And you can literally spend hours in there. You can. And then then the special exhibits, we're fortunate to be able to bring in at least three, sometimes four special exhibitions a year that are works that you you know might not ever get to see. Is there an exhibit right now? There is. It's a fun exhibit. It's uh, called Networked Nature, and it's all digital works so, I mean, computerized AI type, I mean, it's technological works, but but it's it's a, it's a lot of fun. But a really cool thing, and, and I'll announce it now. I'm not sure we've, right. we've announced it in public yet, but um, we are going to be opening in at the end of March. The Hunter has recently acquired a couple of new works for our permanent collection, and uh, there's several, and, and, but the one that, that I think most people will be familiar with is we have acquired a work by Kahindi Wiley who is, if you all uh, may recall, he is the um, the first African-American to paint a presidential portrait. He is the one who painted Barack Obama's portrait. Very cool. So you think of the President Obama, yeah. um, the, the seated, seated with all the, the beautiful the flowers yeah. behind it. So this artist, uh, we have acquired a work by him. We're so excited. Yeah, that's cool. We're going to unveil it on March the 28th. We're going to have a public reception, and, and, and we would love for people to come to see that Fabulous work, and then uh, several other works that, that we've acquired that we're going to, we're totally redoing our contemporary wing. Well, this podcast will be released before March 28th. So, perfect. We have breaking news. Yes, yes, that'd be great. <laughs> That's another first for my morning. Uh, here you go. That's great. I, I do want to ask you a couple more questions. Um, one of them, and it's not so much a question as an observation, and, and I keep on going back to the 21st century waterfront plan because before that, the modern building wasn't. Built yet, was it? Right. That that was part of the 21st century. Yeah, because you had the, the the house. Right. And then, then now the... And the, then you had the brutalist structure, which is to the right of it. Right. Yes. And then the, the now the facility. Conti- the contemporary that, wing the is what I'm was... Yes, for. the contemporary wing is what was, was part of the 21st century waterfront. And something that sticks out in my mind about the contemporary structure, and it, it kind of ties everything together of what Chattanooga has been able to accomplish over the last couple of decades was the Volkswagen announcement to watch. Uh, and I forget the gentleman who was the chairman of the board of Volkswagen at the time and Governor Bredesen to walk down those steps right. to make that. And it kind of just brought everything together in that. And what a perfect place to make that announcement. Absolutely. 
I still remember that. I mean, it was just oh, amazing. It gives me, it gives right. me chills. It was, right. it was a great day. Yeah. And it, it was almost like, we're going to make this announcement at our crown jewel. You know, you're overlooking the river. It was a beautiful day. It's gorgeous. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think we're going to have that kind of day today. So <laughs> get it all tied together. Uh, before I do get to the last question, I, I do want to remind our listeners who makes all this possible. And that's a huge thank you to the Tennessee Valley Authority for sponsoring My Morning Cup. Follow TVA on social media to learn more about its multifaceted mission of service and visit tva.com forward slash do good here to explore exciting career opportunities at TVA. Now, Virginia, my last question for you. Think about this a second. What would you tell your 25-year-old self is really important for a happy life? I think what has been important for me is has been to be involved in things where I'm making a difference. Yeah. Um, being involved with the waterfront, you know, that was huge. That, you know, it was really making a difference. Being involved with the Women's Fund and the work that we did with the Women's Fund. I mean, just things that, not that I was uniquely qualified, but I was in the right place at the right time and was able to offer what I have, what talents and skills that I do have. Um, it was a nice fit, and and that that was something that was really important to me, and 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 has been very meaningful to me. You just brought up something. Not that I was uniquely qualified, and I think that's an interesting point. In that, yeah, organizations and boards are looking for people with certain qualifications, but what they're really looking for sweat equity, someone mm-hmm. who's going to jump in mm-hmm. and commit themselves to it and help accomplish the goal. And I think so much of that is showing up. Yeah, you know, <laughs> if you make a commitment. You go and, you know, you get involved. You're not just sitting there. That's that's important. Yeah, being actively involved mm-hmm. and, and being part of that. Mm-hmm. Well, Virginia Ann, thank you for taking time to do this. I really enjoyed this conversation, and you've had a fascinating career. I just I love the fact that you went from something not so technical and boring, but so technical and boring is law, and you're really in your passion at this point in, in the arts. It's been a dream. It really has. My years at Miller Martin were wonderful. I'm living the dream right now, too. Well, you made great contributions to our community. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to My Morning Cup, a podcast by Costa Media Advisors. If you liked this episode, please share it with a friend. I release a new episode each week, so be sure to subscribe on Spotify, Apple, Google, or wherever you listen to podcasts.